Hallelujah. Peace and many blessings. Shall we say a word of prayer? Our Father, we thank you for tonight. Let us go into the house of the Lord. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. Lord, we are happy to come before you because in your presence there is fullness of joy. Therefore, Lord, we are happy to be in your presence and we submit ourselves to you. We ask that, Lord, we write your words on our hearts and also on our minds so that we will not be forgetful hearers. We pray, O oh Lord, that you give us grace to resist anything that tries to steal our attention from the important things that you are telling us and how important it is to please you. Lord, we submit to you and we receive with meekness the engrafted word by which we can be saved. We pray for those who are here and those who are away by joining on their devices. We pray that, Lord, for all of us, your presence will be with us. Manifest your power and your presence even to each one as we listen to you. Give us such understanding that that which you speak to us will never fall to the ground, but it will fall on fertile ground of our heart so that we will bear fruit. We thank you, dear Lord, for what we are about to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Peace and many blessings. God is good. Are we confident that God is good? <laughs> God is good. And all the time, God is good. So, tonight, we are considering the subject, walking with the aim of pleasing God. Walking with the aim of pleasing God. This year, the Lord has told us to walk before him and be blameless. And if God is telling us to walk before him and be blameless, then it means that he's showing us the path that we should take and how we ought to walk. We have looked at different aspects of walking before the Lord. And today, one of the important things that we are also considering is having in this walk, covenant walk with the Lord, having an, an aim of pleasing the Lord. Yes, we are God's people. We have a covenant with Him. The day anyone gives their life to Jesus and becomes a child of God, then there's a relationship. We have a relationship with God. And we are his children. We, and he is our father. We do not own ourselves. We belong to him. And we, we ought to remember who we belong to, whose we are. Um, in, in Isaiah chapter 1, he was lamenting about the people of God. And he says that the ox knows its owner and its master's crib, but his people do not know um, where they belong to. They do, not, they do not even consider the ox knows its owner and the donkey is master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Um, it's true that we are God's people, but we have to keep reminding ourselves who we are, who owns our life. And um, 
how we actually had to have to live, what to live for, and who to live for, and have a goal that as long as we belong to God and we do not own ourselves, then we are not going to live to please ourselves, but we are going to live to please the one who has redeemed us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, it tells us that, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you, are, you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, Paul was telling the Corinthians that our bodies are temple of God. The body that we have, God lives within us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And we have the Holy Spirit from God. It is God who sent his spirit into our spirits. And that's why we are able to call him Abba, Father. Because his spirit is within us. He has, his, he has put his life within us. And he says you are not your own. You don't own yourself. Um, there is no child of God who should put their five fingers on their chest and say, I, um, I don't know, how do you say that in English? Yeah. <laughs> I own myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we cannot say that because the Bible says that you are not your own. You were bought at a price. And what price did God buy us at? At what price? It was not a perishable um, currency like um, silver or gold or pounds telling or US dollar. There's no currency that God used than the precious, pure, incorruptible blood of Jesus. That is what he used to buy us when we were enslaved and under the bondage of Satan. We have been enslaved by sin and under Satan's control and he had kept us prisoners. That is when God showed us his love by coming to redeem us, by dying on the cross, by being, he was bruised because of our iniquities. He was wounded because of us. He, he paid the price that we should have paid because we are the ones who sinned and we should have died. That is, we should have perished and gone to hell. But God in his mercy, rich mercies, sent his dear son because he loved us so much and he didn't want us to perish. That is what he did. He gave his one and only son. That is what God did for us because he loved us. The hymn writer says that where the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my love, my soul, my all. So we have been bought at a price. And when you buy something, it becomes your property. When you buy something, it becomes your property. You buy a fridge, it's your fridge. You buy a house, it's your house. And so if Jesus has bought us with his precious blood... He has laid down his life for us. And he's actually even, like how we maintain our property, 
He's actually maintaining us by every day, washing us, purifying us, cleansing us, guiding us, clothing us, so that we will be in good shape, so that he'll be happy to call us his own. So if God owns us, then we should live to serve the purposes of the Lord. If you buy a property, you buy it for a purpose, and you expect that thing to function well and serve you well for the reason which you bought it for. We are bought at a price, and God owns us. And therefore, Paul is saying that, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your spirit belongs to God. Your body belongs to God. That is God's house. And the way we keep our own houses, if we, we want to dwell in a nice environment, we keep it neat, and we, we maintain it. So God lives within us, and therefore we ought to glorify God in all that we do. If we want to please live with the aim of pleasing God, then it means that in our lifetime, we must be determined and we must purpose in our hearts and focus on pleasing the Lord in our choices, in our decisions, in our actions, that all that we do is something that is acceptable to God, something that is good in the sight of the Lord, something that pleases the Lord, is pleasant before the Lord. Um, So, that is how focused we should be when he talks about living with the aim. When you have an aim, it means that that is your target, that is your focus, that is what you want to achieve. So, um, we we have targets and we have goals and, you know, we, we set ourselves, we, we aim at doing something. But as children of God, who God has told that we should walk before him and be blameless, if we are to be able to do that, then we have to have that kind of mind in us. Otherwise, if we do not aim at it, and we don't have that mind in us, we, we may be missing the mark, and we will not be able to please God at all. So, when we look at a key, one key reason why we ought to walk with the aim of pleasing the Lord too, is in Second um, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 to 11, where actually... That's the anchor um, scripture, Second Corinthians 5, 9 to 11. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Hallelujah. So, we don't own ourselves. We are here for a purpose. And we call Jesus our Lord and our Savior. One day, we have to render an account to our Lord, to our Master. And each one will stand and um, give an account so that you receive your reward according to what 
you have done, whether good or bad. So, we don't own ourselves. We are God's people. We are here for a reason. We are here to show forth His praise. We are here to um, bring glory to Him in all that we do. Therefore, uh, we have to also have this in mind. But when we talk about pleasing God, I was asking myself, so how do I please God? And the answer that quickly came to me was that if you are with somebody and you want to please the person, what, how do you please the person? It's like, oh, that's simple. Um, I try to find out what the person likes. And I do that. Exactly that. So that I'll see the person very happy. Um, and I try to observe what the person dislikes and avoid doing the thing that that person dislikes. So in, in my reflections, I realized that, okay, so then if I want to please God, then I have to know what God likes and what God dislikes. And how can I know what God likes and what God dislikes? By studying his word. By studying his word. And when we study the word of God, we know what God likes. We know the things that he does not like. We see um, people in the Bible who did things that God didn't like. And what the consequences was um, for those things that or the things that they did, they, they did that God did not like. And those that God was also very well pleased with. They also did things that God liked. So for the people who did live to please God, they were people of faith. We have learned about walking in faith. They were people of faith. Actually, the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. If we don't believe in him, if we don't trust him and completely rely on him and believe that he is God, he is and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him, we will not be able to please him. Um, God introduced himself and he says that I am God Almighty. If we believe in him and we have faith in him that he is almighty God. Almighty. It means that he is the greatest. In fact, we can't even begin to describe his almightiness. But he is so great. He is so wide. He is so deep. We, beyond comprehension. He is so awesome. That's the kind of God that we serve. And that's the one that we belong to. The Apostle Paul was saying, whose I am and whom I serve. So, we ought to know him. We ought to know him. If we, we do not know him and we do not even know his ways and what pleases him, we will always find ourselves doing the wrong things. One time Jesus told the Pharisees, some questions that they were asking him and all of that. He said, you do err because you do not know the scriptures. So, you are making a mistake. He And most of the time, our um, transgression is because we don't know God. Neither do we even know his ways. And how can we know God and know his ways? It's by seeking after him. If you, we seek after the Lord, we will, we will know him. Since those who seek him early, they will find him. Say, seek and ye shall find. So if our hearts 
seeks after the living God, after the almighty God. Say, God, you have told us you are God almighty. I want to know you more. I want to understand you. I want you to open my eyes so that I will understand your greatness to the level that I will be able to do things that please you so that I will not go against you. And I was reading the word of God. I said, ah, these are things that we have been taught over and over again. And I was looking at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19. He was talking about six things that the Lord hates. And seven that are an abomination to him. Um, he says, a proud look. So God does not like pride. He doesn't like pride or haughtiness. Um, God actually resists the proud. He, he, he pushes the proud back. He doesn't want the proud to get near him at all. But he gives grace to the humble. God loves people who are humble. And he says a lying tongue. You know, the one who is the father of lies is the devil. So, God, if God hates a lying tongue, then it, um, and we know that the devil is the father of lies, then it stands to reason that it's because lying is associated with the devil. God cannot countenance lies. Because God, he is truth. So, lying is actually opposed to his very nature. He says, hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. Um, a heart that devises wicked plans. Actually, the reason why God at a certain point regretted that he had even created man was that now all the thoughts and the imaginations of man were evil continually. So he decided that, ah, I've even regretted, you know. So um, he says, blessed, Jesus taught his disciples, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So if there, is, there are evil hatchings and uh, evil plans going on inside, you know, devising, planning it, how to carry it out, how, you know, to get it through uh, successfully and all that. God will shy away from such a person. God will frown at such a person. And in, in Psalm 11 verse 5, he says that the Lord tests the righteous but the wicked and the one who, who loves violence, his soul hates. So somebody who is wicked wants to see people suffering, do things to make people really suffer. God doesn't love such people. He, he, his soul, his soul, Remember, uh, just take note of the his there. It's a capital letter. It's the soul of the Lord. The nature of God hates um, violence and, um, and wickedness. God is good. There's no wickedness in him. That's what the word of God tells us. There's no wickedness in God at all. He says that feet that are sweet in running to evil. Swift in running to evil. As soon as they call that, oh, this, the opportunity comes to go and do bad. Oh, chrism, they are there. Full, in full action. God doesn't like that. He says, a false witness who speaks lies. He has already talked about the lying tongue. Now he's talking about a false witness. False witness. When Jesus was on trial 
there were false witnesses there that they brought to come and testify against him after all that he had done for them. Jesus only came to do good. The Bible says how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth who went about with the Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good and healed all those who were oppressed. And God was with him. He fed, he came to, to, to heal those who were sick, fed the hungry, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers. He did all of that. But there were false witnesses there um, who were trying very hard to say that this man is a bad man. And God hates people who bear false witness. Something that you have not seen. You will say, I saw it. This is what I saw. Uh, he did this. He did that. He said that. We have to be very careful um, about things that we testify to. Because if they call you now to come and remove your mouth, eh, and bring evidence. Explain with evidence. <laughs> Explain with diagrams. You have nothing to prove. We ought to be very, very careful that we are not uh, mobilized or recruited into anything that we do not know about. Um, the Bible was talking about Absalom, who was a rebel. 200 people followed Absalom in the simplicity of their minds. Not knowing they were getting into trouble. They didn't know what they were following. Neither did they know what they were doing. And so we ought to be very careful um, what we testify to and what we say. Because these are things that God dislikes. He says that one who sows Discord among brethren. That is actually the seventh one, which he says is an abomination to him. Jesus spent time praying for his disciples. That includes us. That we will be one and will be perfectly united in him. So, um, anything or anyone that is, you know, set to bring division. It's actually fighting against Jesus' prayers that he prayed to God and is still sitting at the right hand of God and praying the same prayers for us, making intercession for us. And it means that that person is working against Jesus. We don't have to, we have to what we have to do is to endeavor to keep the unity of the faith in the bond of peace. Not to do anything that will bring discord, not to sow any seed or say anything that will create divisions. The Apostle Paul was actually saying that mark them and avoid those who bring divisions among you. So God hates these things. And um, another thing that I saw that God hates is that God said that I hate divorce. I hate divorce. Malachi 2.16, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence. You know, we have read already that God doesn't like violence. His soul hates violence. So a person who divorces is having a stained garment as if he has committed violence. Um, in the spiritual realm, that's how the garment is looking. See, so um, if you are marrying, you have to know that marriage is not to be entered into unadvisedly, but soberly, in reverent fear. You don't rush in to rush out. Know that it is a permanent bond, and God hates putting asunder. So we must be serious about our marriages. I believe that last week we heard the same thing. Now, so God says that, therefore, take heed to your spirit, that you do not deal treacherously. See, And one thing also that God does not like is 
um, friendship with the world, friendship with the world, worldliness, worldliness. So, um, James chapter 4 verse 4 says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we that God has bought with the precious blood of the Lamb cannot set ourselves against God by making ourselves enemies of God through the love of the world. In First John 2, 15 and 16, too, he says this. He said, do not love the world. All the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So this is all that the world is about. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The pride of life. Selfish ambition. You know, we've already seen that God hates pride. And so, things that God does not like, we should not um, make those things our aim and set our love upon those things. Otherwise, we cannot please God. So, if we want to please God, we have to take the path that God is showing us, walking before him and be blameless. We can't walk the opposite direction and say that, oh, my intention is to, pre- is to please God. It doesn't work that way. Because if you are leaving this place and you want to go to trade fair, and you get to the junction, which turn do you take? You take the right turn. And if you take the left turn, will you reach trade fair? No, definitely not. You will not reach trade fair. You will go to 37. You won't reach trade fair. So if God is showing us the path, and we also want to please him, then we should follow that path that he has shown us, because the opposite path will never bring us to the right place. The people who please God are people who loved righteousness and they hated evil the bible says about job in job chapter 1 verse 1 it says that there was a man in the land of us whose name was job and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared god and shunned evil Now, in verse 8, we see that God himself is testifying about this man to to Satan. And the Lord said to Satan, verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? You see, so if we want to be people that God himself can testify of, then... We should be people who um, shun evil and love righteousness, live blameless and upright. Um, our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, lived to please God. God testified of him and said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And the second one, he said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. You see, so God testified and approved our Lord Jesus Christ when he lived on the earth. And he also was one who loved righteousness in in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He says, But to the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. 
You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So this was a testimony of the father about the son, Jesus Christ. He loved righteousness and hated iniquity, lawlessness. So if we want to aim at pleasing the Lord, then we ought to follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus Christ himself said in John chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, says that then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me, for I always do the, those things that please him. He says, I always do, not, you know, sometimes, but always. So it means that Jesus had that aim of pleasing the Lord God and his Father continuously, always, always. So, that is what we are also considering, that we will align our aim with the aim of Jesus, that in all that we do, we will always please, please the Lord and not be pleasing ourselves. Um, Jesus said, I do nothing of myself. He didn't do anything of his own initiative. All that he did was with his father's approval. Even the things that he was teaching, he said, as my father taught me, I speak these things. So, we, we have to give our lives to the Lord in this manner so that we'll be able to please the Lord. I noticed something about Father Abraham also in my study and preparation that at one point, this is what Father Abraham said in Genesis 14.22. Genesis 14.22, he says, But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God, the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. You know. So, this is what he said. He has raised his hand. He has made um, a covenant. He has sworn to God who possesses heaven and earth. And um, he continues, to, this is something, a discussion that he was having with the king of Sodom when he had gone to rescue Lot, Lot his, his, his nephew or his, his brother and after he had been successful and he got everything back now um, he had an encounter the encounter that he had was with Melchizedek the, the king of Salem, the king of peace. And when he met Melchizedek, Melchizedek actually um, blessed him. And Abraham also paid his tithe to Melchizedek. And um, Melchizedek gave him bread and wine. He gave him communion. You know, in that encounter, he was establishing his covenant. And we believe that Melchizedek was um, Christ, who uh, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Now, looking at everything that went on, I believe that Abraham knew what he had done with the Lord. That, look, I've made a covenant with God. So now, when the man, the king of Sodom met him. He said, oh, okay. Um, you give me my people. And then I will also um, 
I will also let you take all the money. He said, I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap. And that I will not take anything. That is the, the pledge that he made to the Lord. I will not take anything that is yours. Lest you should say, I have made Abraham, Abraham rich. You know. So, the implication of even raising a hand to the Lord, raising hand to the Lord, is a sign of what? Surrender. Surrendering our lives to him. If we want to please the Lord, he says we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto him, holy and acceptable. That is our reasonable service. Because that is how we'll be able to prove the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of the Lord. So, if Abraham is saying that I have lifted my hand to the Lord, I have raised my hand to the Lord, then he knew and remembered exactly what he had discussed with God. And many times, we even forget ourselves who we are. Like I mentioned early on about how the prophet Isaiah was lamenting about the people of God, that even if you take an ox, uh, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey knows its owner's crib. When they get lost, they know how to smell their way back to their owner's crib. But sometimes we God's people, we can just get lost in the world completely and overwhelmed with the world and the things in the world, and our hearts can easily shift like that from God to the things in the world, even things that God himself has blessed us with um, can become a monument that we we raise up to idolize and God does not like that that displeases God completely so once we surrender our lives to the Lord we must know who we are we we, we lift our hands to God saying that I will walk with you. I'm walking in fellowship with you. I am agreeing with you that um, I have a covenant with you. I have a relationship with you. And I will walk with you in fellowship. And uh, I will follow your steps. When we lift up our hands, we lift up our hands in worship, in, in prayer to the Most High God who possesses heaven and earth. And when we have done that, it means that we are actually partakers of his divine nature. We are not partakers with Sodom. We are not partakers with the world. And that's what Abraham categorically denied. That no, I have raised my hand to God, God Almighty, the Most High God. He is the one who possesses what? Everything in heaven and earth. So, this is not what I'm going to collect. That one day, you, king of Sodom, will say, hey, this man, hmm, you know when his, when his breakthrough started, that was when uh, I gave him all the, the booty that he got from the, from the war. Abraham knew who he belonged to, who he had raised up his hand. He knew who owned him. So, as a child of God, we must know that it is God who owns us. We don't own ourselves. When it comes to ownership, all that we have in our own life um, belongs to the Lord. And when God, we raise our hands to God, He forgives our sins and He he takes ownership of our lives and he gives us his own righteousness, his perfect righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he assumes all responsibilities for our life. And that's why he says that you seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things. I'm going to add it 
to you. So, we must trust God in this regard. Because he is the one who is responsible for us. He, he has even offered himself to be helping us. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says that, lo, I am with you always. He even told Jacob, he said, do not be afraid. I will be with you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When you pass through the water, I am with you. When you pass through the fire, I am with you. Yes, I will help you. So God has even offered himself to be our daily help. He told Abraham at a point, he says, Abraham, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. That's how God has offered himself to us. When we lift up our hand to God, when we raise up our hand to God, we must understand what we are doing. It's not just coming to recite, recite something and say, Oh, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my personal savior. Forgive me all my sins. Thank you for saving me. And then it's just something that you have said with your mouth and your heart is completely far away from it. But this is the implication. You raise your hand to the Lord. God owns your life. But God owns our lives to do us good. To do us good. He, he has good plans for us. The plans that he has for us, they are plans of good. They are not plans to destroy us. They are plans to give us a future and a hope. The future that we expect and even much more. Um, God cares, cares for us into details. To the extent that he even knows the number of hairs on our head. So that's how God cares for us. When we have given our lives to him, he doesn't neglect us and leave us anywhere. He cares for us jealously and affectionately. And he's always with us. Even if you don't feel it, God is there. Once you have lifted your hands up to the Lord. So we also have that consciousness. Maybe you have never lifted your hand to the Lord in a deliberate way. You have never surrendered your life to the Lord in a deliberate manner. If you have not deliberately done that, it will be impossible to say that I want to walk with the aim of pleasing God. Otherwise, it will just be trying to follow some um, practices and you become like the Pharisees who... They, they follow all the rules and the regulations. And um, they, they pay their tithe. They do everything. They can even pay their tithe on their spices, like Maggi Cube and Reco Shrimp and all those. They will pay their tithe on it. Yes. But this is how God, Jesus described them. He said that you people are like whitewashed tombs. You are outwardly very nice, but inside is full of dead men's bones. So we actually um, need to move away. If we want to please God, we have to move away from this type of uh, legalism and you know traditions of men and all of those things. God desires truth in the inward past. That's what uh, David remarked when he was. Um, confessing to the Lord. He said, ah, you desire truth in the inward parts. It's not me bringing you um, sacrifices of sheep and goats and all of that. I know that that is not what you, you want. Otherwise, I would, have brought, I would have brought it to you. But you desire truth in the inward parts. So, when we are lifting up our hands to the Lord, we must do it truly from our inward parts to say that God I am lifting my hand to you. I agree to this covenant relationship that you are offering me. And from this day onward, take over my life. I am giving myself, my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, that from this day onward, I will live for you. Come what may. And pray that God will give you grace to be able to do, to live before the Lord 
walk before the Lord blameless because we cannot do it with our own strength. In, in Hebrews chapter 13, there's a prayer there, and I believe that we are going to pray um, based on, on this verse, these verses. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, he says that now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Hallelujah. So, this is a very powerful prayer which we need to pray that God himself will make us perfect and blameless through the blood of the everlasting covenant. It is the blood of the everlasting covenant that can make us perfect. See, and he will make us complete. And it is also by the workings of his grace that he will work in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight. So it is an internal work that we need to cry to God that he will do in our lives. It is not environmental. It is something that happens on the inside. Those days, um, we used to sing the song, something on the inside is working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Something on the inside is working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Something on the inside is working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Oh, what a change in my life. Jesus on the inside is working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Shall we rise and pray? Jesus on the inside is working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Oh, what a change in my life. Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high the possessor of heaven and earth. Would you rededicate your life to the Lord? Would you raise your hand to the Lord, God most high, the almighty God who possesses the heaven and the earth, who sent his son to lay down his life for you and me so that he will redeem us from the power of of sin. He will set us free from every enslavement and give us his own life and take full responsibility of our lives. Would you say yes to the Lord? Would you say yes to this great offer of the Lord so that he will do a new thing in your life? He will take over your life, cleanse you Give you his own righteousness, not the outward righteousness, the, not the form of religion that denies the power thereof, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the way life. He will, he will impart it into your life. He will impart it into my life. Talk to Jesus at this time and say yes to Jesus. The Lord Jesus, I want to walk before you blameless. I say yes to the covenant that you want to have with me. Therefore, I lift my hand to you 
from the bottom of my heart, I say yes. Come and take over my life. Take ownership of my life. Rule over my life. Be king in my life. Lord, I am yours. I surrender. We want to pray to God. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. That the blood of Jesus, the blood of the everlasting covenant, the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord God Almighty himself, will bring his blood into our life. To every issue of our lives, to blot out everything in our life that do not please him. Make us white as snow. He says, come and let us reason together. Even if your sin is as red as crimson, oh, they shall be as white as snow. Are you reasoning in your heart with the Lord tonight? As we are talking about walking with the aim of pleasing the Lord, of pleasing God, in reasoning before the Lord, how is God showing you yourself? Have you been pleasing Him? What is your aim in life? What is your purpose in life? Is it called first? Is it to please God? Is it to please certain people? Is it to please yourself? As we reason together with the Lord, He says that, look, even if you fall short, it doesn't matter. I can change everything. Everybody has a story. Each and every one of us, we have our own story. You have your story. I have my story. Reason together with the Lord. That as I am saying, yes, Lord, let the blood of the everlasting covenant, the blood of the Lamb, Go to the very root of my issues and settle everything so that there will be no controversy about who owns my life. There will be no controversy about who I belong to, about who I'm living for. Lord, by the workings of your grace, work in me that which is well-pleasing in your sight. Not in the sight of anybody, but well-pleasing in your sight, O Lord Almighty. I want to please you. Work in me. Work in me. All that does not please you in my life, I yield myself and I say, Lord, make me an instrument of righteousness. I want to be that kind of person who loves righteousness and shuns evil. Lord, any desire in me, any appetite in me for evil things, for wickedness, for things that you cannot tolerate, oh God, I pray, take it out. Take it out. Work in me, oh Lord. By the workings of your grace, I know that I cannot do it on my own strength. I say yes to you. Yes to the workings of your grace. Yes to your pageant. Yes to your covenant. Yes to pleasing you. Give me grace, O oh Lord, and a heart to seek after you so that I will know your ways. Because the cry of my heart is to please you. The cry of my life, the cry of my heart is to love you and to worship you. O oh Lord, the cry of my heart is that you will say, This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Lord, therefore, do your work in me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your holy name. Lord, thank you that you are right here in our midst. You are here with the grace to forgive. Thank you that your truth has also come with grace to turn our lives around. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
that we are not leaving this place the same because you have initiated a work in our lives that will manifest outwardly for all to see that indeed we are yours. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Peace and many blessings.